So we all ready for Christmas? Yeah, no. People ask you that all the time, don't you? Ready for Christmas? No, no. I don't know if you're ever ready. You know, um, got all your shopping done? Been to pre-mark yet? <laughs> Big news in Craig Alvin, folks, for those watching anywhere else in the world. This amazing high luxury department store opened called Premark about uh, 500 meters from the church here. And uh, people are very excited about it all. You know, no matter how much we try to keep Jesus at the center, uh, if you've got kids, it becomes about gifts. It becomes about presents, doesn't it? I remember when I was a, a child, back then we got the catalogs out. Who remembers the catalogues? Big, they were like the size of a phone book. At Burlington, Freeman's, Littlewoods, yeah? And you got them and you would go through and you would circle things and you would, then once you'd this, uh, once you'd decided all the different things you want, I mean, I mean, Elijah just goes online now and he's like, he prints me off a list from the Nike shop and you know, and uh, I mean, we didn't have the internet, we didn't have computer, we, we didn't, we barely had running water and electricity back then, but, um, but you know, we, we went through the catalogue and we circled them, we wrote our letter to Santa. Um, because Santa could uh, give us everything on our list. And then we also wrote a letter to our parents as well and uh, asked them for the things that Santa couldn't get us. And Elijah has uh, has uh, figured out that it's a really good thing to ask both um, for, for lots of different things because if Santa can't make it, parents can buy it. He's a chanter. And uh, the biggest problem but I find these days is what do you buy... People who have already got everything. Anybody? I think women find that particularly hard to buy for men. You ask a man what he wants, I'm fine. Don't need anything. So he ends up with socks or a scarf or something like that. What do you buy the person? Even Elijah this year, I have to say, he said, he actually just said to me one day as we were driving, I actually don't need anything. Now, it didn't stop him making a 16-foot list um, of things he didn't need, but he would like. But, but what do you buy the person who has everything? Because, uh, because we all kind of are fairly comfortable. We all live fairly comfortable lives. And I wonder what the biggest present you've ever got is. I wonder what the biggest present you've ever given is. And now, when I ask that question before you answer it, I have to define what biggest means. By the biggest present, do I mean the one that's made the most impact? Something that changed your life? Something meaningful? By the biggest present, do I mean physically the biggest present? Somebody ever give you, anybody ever get a car for Christmas? Mrs. Webb. <laughs> Mrs. Webb. She gets a new car every three weeks, Mrs. Webb. Um, no, so we could have the, a, 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 a present that's physically big, a present that's transformed, or a present that's the most expensive could be the biggest present. In my 46 years, the biggest present I've ever given was also the smallest present. The biggest was the smallest. On Christmas Eve in 2008, I had been dating a young lady called Becky Fletcher for four months and two days. Four months and two days of which she had spent two weeks of that four months in Australia. So, um, Trying to get away from my, she can run but she can't hide. I got her deported. And, uh, and, 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 and I knew I wanted to marry her and so, but she had no idea, I mean we knew we wanted to get married but she had no idea on Christmas Eve we were going to get engaged and at that stage I was in Shankill Parish in Lurgan and it's a big church, seats about a thousand people and at this time of year they have candles all around it for the candlelit carol service. So I'd asked Trevor, one of the staff members there, would he go in on Christmas Eve and would he light all the candles? 
I know. I know, she's a lucky woman. And, uh, and would he light all the candles and call me and say that I was needed up at the church for something? And so he did that. Trevor Douglas did that. And, and uh, he called me and I said, hey, Bex, come on up with me. I just need to pick something up at the church. And we walked into this big church and it was pitch black apart from just candles lit everywhere around it. And as we're walking up the aisle of Shankill Parish Church, Becky looks and goes, well, isn't this a flipping fire hazard? <laughs> Somebody needs to sort this out, for goodness sake. I'm like, just keep walking, just keep walking. And we got to the front and I pulled out a little black box and got down on one knee and I was with my shaking, quivering voice. I opened the box and inside was a, a small bit of platinum and an even smaller diamond. And I asked her to marry me. And that was uh, 14 Christmas Eves ago. And I'm still paying off that ring today, <laughs> five pound a week uh, for 25 years, but it'll get there. Um, but uh, the biggest present I ever gave was also the smallest present. And that's what I want to think about just for a few moments today. The, the big is in the small because we live in a world that's obsessed by the big. Bigger is better. Big equals successful. Big equals getting noticed. Big equals powerful. Big equals impact and influence. Big is good, but bigger is better. And we tend to live for the big moments in life, don't we? We live for holidays. We live for Christmas. We live for weddings. We live for births. We live for those big moments in life. And that's good and that's fine. But actually, most of life isn't big. It's small, it's normal, it's ordinary, it's regular, it's the mundane, it's uh, insignificant. And what I want to do this morning in these few moments is to help us to see that for God, the small and the big often go together. The small and the big often go together. The big is in the small. The miraculous is in the mundane. The opportunity and the ordinary are one And the significant and the insignificant very often go together. Because when you look at the way God acts in the world, very often he works in small ways. But they turn out to bring big changes. God loves to hide the big and the small. And that's what we see in the Christmas story. I've been finding myself really enjoying reading the nativity stories from Matthew and Luke's gospel this year and, and just seeing some things afresh I hadn't seen before. Um, but one of the things I keep seeing is that God loves to hide the big in the small. And three things I just want to say, and the first one is this, small people get big attention from God. Small people get big attention from God. Look at Luke 1. 26, 27. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. What about Mary? Well, she was probably the least likely candidate to birth the Son of God. If I had been God, if you had, imagine you're God for a second, or for some of you that'll be easier than others. Imagine you're God and you're sending your son into the world and there's been millennia of planning this. This is the great event of human history around which history will turn. You're sending your only son into the world to save from sins. How would you do it? 
How would you plot it? How would you orchestrate the whole thing? Well, you would probably pick the most powerful people. You would have them born into a very wealthy and prestigious family. Maybe in America, in Hollywood, or in Washington, and he would become president. That's how you'd make a real difference in the world, unless you're Joe Biden. Or you would have him, sorry, I can't, some, some, some of these I just can't help myself. Uh, it's like Tourette's. Uh, or you would have him been born a millionaire like Elon Musk and, and take over Twitter and social media. Or you would have him as a famous celebrity, maybe a footballer or a movie star or a Glenavon player or a singer or something like that. For us, the big is in the big. We would want the spectacular. We would want the lights. We would want the drama. We would expect the powerful and the significant and the bigger, the better. What does God do? He picks a teenage girl, probably 13 to 15 years old. Junior high school. She hasn't even got her R plates for her donkey yet. Can you imagine parents Parents of girls, parents of teenage girls, 13 to 15 years old. She's not even married yet. And she's from Nazareth. Now the only reason anybody knows about Nazareth is because it's mentioned in this particular story. Nazareth is one of those places that even today they struggle to actually know where it is. It was this tiny little hick town in the middle of nowhere. And it was fairly disregarded even in Jesus' day. When Philip comes to his uh, brother Nathaniel and, and he's telling Nathaniel about Jesus in, in, in John chapter 1, look at Nathaniel's response. Nath- Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. It was a place nobody really expected much from. It was a hole in the hedge. It was a, 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 a culty place. It was a sort of place that, that you drove through it and kept going because there was nothing there. You know, like... I was looking through some names of towns in Northern Ireland that, you know, that you might say, could anything good come from, you know, like, like, Akadui or Gorchin or Mullabrack or Jonesboro. Okay, Jonesboro, probably not much good does come from there. Um, Ardmore, Cloddy, Gullad, Duff. Anybody ever heard of Gullad Duff? Goodness me. Yeah. Yeah? No? Great place. Summer holidays. Loch Gilly. Bleary. Um, Nazareth was that sort of place. It was the sort of place that it didn't have a Tesco, didn't have a McDonald's, didn't have a post office, probably didn't have a petrol station. The only people who knew about it were the people who lived there. So God chooses a teenage nobody from a nowhere place to birth his son, to bring his son into the world. Everything by human standards would have been against her, but God was for Mary. Why? Because she was small in her own eyes. She was humble enough for God to use. Look at what she later says. She actually sings it when she visits her older cousin Elizabeth. She says, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Why? For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. She says, I'm just a humble servant. He has brought down the rulers from their thrones. He has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. You know what was so special about Mary? She wasn't special at all. And she knew it. She was so humble. She was a nobody. And the qualification for God to use you mightily is for you to recognize you're a nobody. For you to recognize you're small, insignificant, and that you're completely dependent on him for anything that happens in your life. 
And yet she's overwhelmed. She's like, like, so glorifies the Lord, my spirit. Why? She's like, she can't believe God picked me. Even though it's horrible, even though I have to have that really awkward conversation with Joseph, even though I'm starting to show God picked me, I can't get over it. I feel like that some days. I really do. Some days I just can't believe God picked me. Maybe you should feel like that too. I remember at a really difficult time in my life, back probably seven, eight years ago, I was just at a really low place. I had to be up north for something we were in Dublin at the time. And I took a detour and I decided to drive round to the house that I grew up in as a kid in primary school in Arthur Avenue. And I sat outside 17 Arthur Avenue. And uh, I just sat looking at it. And I looked up at the room that I used to be in. And the damp, I remember the damp in the corner of the wall that my parents kept trying to fix and it just wouldn't go away. And I looked down at the place where I used to go and build the bonfires and paint the murals and sorry about all this stuff. But, and I just thought, God, I can't believe that you would pick me. Like, least likely to do anything for you and you picked me. And I, I was just reminded in my lowest point that God chooses the weak. God chooses the nobodies. God chooses those who don't have any status in this world. First Corinthians one twenty seven says this. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. One of my heroes is a man called Roland Hutchinson. Now many of you will have never heard of Roland Hutchinson. I'm, I'm, I'm close to his family. and Roland was a Church of Ireland minister for many, many years, decades. And he was an evangelical, great preacher in the Church of Ireland at a time when there were very few evangelicals in the Church of Ireland. And they really didn't like Roland because he loved Jesus. And the bishops, whenever, because he was a gifted preacher, he would get called by search committees to pastor large churches. But because he was an evangelical, the bishops would then step in and say, no, we're not allowing that to happen. Because they didn't want him going into large churches and preaching the gospel. Because they wanted to keep their ritual and their tradition. And this happened, his family have told me, this this happened again and again and again. Where these large churches would call Roland to be their minister, and the bishops would say, no, we're not allowing that. And they would always come up with some excuse. But the thing was that they had to put him somewhere. So eventually they thought, you know what, there's a wee place in the middle of nowhere where we can put Roland and he'll do no harm and uh, he can live out the rest of his days. And they found a wee place called Marilyn. Now for those who are not from this area, Marilyn's a little place between Lurgan and Moira. And now it's, it's known now, but this would have been 40, 40 years ago maybe. It was just a little country rural village with just farmers and not a lot of people. And they thought, well, stick Roland there. It's a church that's very traditional, all into their religion, all into their ritual. Nobody in the church was born again. And we'll stick him there and we'll keep him out of the way and that'll be the end. We'll not hear from him again. So they put Roland into Marilyn Parish. And there were maybe 50, 60 would show up on a Sunday and every Sunday Roland would get up and he would preach the gospel. And they hated him for it. They hated him for it. They would give him dirty looks. They would, wouldn't shake his hand at the door. But they were churchy, so they kept they, coming back every week because in those days you just went to your local parish church. And every week they would have to sit there and every week Roland would preach the gospel and every week he would be preaching to the wall. 
and they would come out and they got more and more and more annoyed at him. And his 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 uh, widow, uh, Maureen, would tell me that he would come home some days so, so discouraged he wouldn't know what to do. And this went on for about two years, but every week Roland would preach the gospel. And after two years, one Sunday, somebody came to faith. Following Sunday, somebody came to faith. Following Sunday, somebody came to faith. And Maureen told me that every single week people were coming to faith. She said it became like a mini revival. And then they added a second service. And then over the years the church grew so large that they built another church in Dollingstown. Because of the crowds that were coming to it. And today there will be hundreds of people worshipping Jesus in those two churches in that one parish. All because of a little insignificant man in a little nowhere place who decided to take God at his word. And believe that the gospel still works. I think of my friends Roland and Susan Heaney from Lisburn. Went down to Red Cross in County Wicklow. Church of 30 people. And for the first 10 years, Roland told me every Sunday they came home and cried. I do that every Sunday too. (laughs) Every Sunday they came home and cried. Do you know what happened? The people in the church actually came to them and said, we don't want the Holy Spirit in this church. I was going to say, can you imagine that? But some of you can from the churches you came from. Imagine the church comes in, we don't want the Holy Spirit. And we went and visited them maybe seven, eight years ago. Got to know them. And when you walk into their church, there's a big banner at the front. You know what it says? Come Holy Spirit. And at that stage, I don't know where they're at now, but there was about 200 people in that place. And it was filled with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because people who were nobodies went to a nowhere place and took God at his word. And God always backs up his word. God uses insignificant people who are willing to take him at his word. And he will do incredible things through them. But the problem is that we always think we're not enough. Don't we? We know ourselves. We know our weaknesses, our failures, our faults and our flaws. We think we're not gifted enough. We're not powerful enough. We're not old enough. We're not young enough. We don't know the Bible enough. I'm not holy enough. And we rule ourselves out because we don't think we're enough. But the good news is this, we have a God who is more than enough. And his more than enough, more than compensates for your not enough. Enough said. And, uh, and, and so he is enough, and all he wants is for you to acknowledge that you're not enough, so that he can fill you with his enough. So that you can be equipped for what he wants you to do. Number two, small beginnings make a big impact. Small beginnings can make a big impact. I remember one of the biggest presents I received as a child was a Spectrum 48K computer. Anybody else have a Spectrum 48K? Yeah, I see that hand, I see that hand. Rubber keys. It was actually a joint present. It was so expensive, it was a joint present between my brother and I. We got up about 3 a.m. Santa had left it at that stage. And, uh, and you had a tape recorder. There were no discs. And you had the volume just right. Otherwise, horoscope skin wouldn't load for you. 48K. Like, the worst calculator in the world today has more than 48K. But in, back then, this was in the mid-80s, this was the cutting edge of technology. 
Most of us have smartphones. Who would ever have dreamt that something this size? You could make movies, you could do your shopping, you can surf the web. All of that. Like, who would have thought so much could go into something so small? Do your banking on it, playing music. It's incredible. All of this technology can go into our pockets. It's astounding. 50 years ago, nobody would ever have imagined it. But you know what's more astounding? That the Almighty God who created the universe, the one who is eternal, the one who is, uh, exists in the heavens and the earth, the one who spoke and there was light, the one who made us in his image. Do you know what's even more incredible? That that same God who is sovereign, who is exalted, who is the one who is omniscient, omnipotent, and all-powerful, and all-knowing, and and, 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 and has no beginning and no end, that he would come to earth and put himself inside a little human body. Get your head around that. That the great God who created everything with his word would come and limit himself to eight or nine pounds of flesh in a cave in the middle of a little country in the Middle East. Matthew one twenty three tells us this. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. God became small. God became weak. God became vulnerable. God became dependent. The infinite became an infant. The Almighty was confined to the little body of a vulnerable baby. Only the angels knew that night what they were witnessing. Nobody else really knew. Not even Mary and Joseph. Because this baby just looked like every other baby. There was nothing special about him. That's why when Herod's trying to wipe out Jesus, he says we have to kill all the babies, under all the boys under what two. Because there was nothing. You know, on Christmas cards, Jesus was kind of born with this glow around him. You know, from the, from the cradle, there's this glow and he didn't, he never cried apparently, no crying he made. And, but that's not, he just looked like every other baby born in that area at that time. There was nothing special or significant about him. And yet in this dirty stable, the seven or eight pounds of flesh would change the course of human history. Billions around the world are now called Christians and worship this Jesus as God. In fact, more people worship Jesus than anyone else who has ever lived. He's the most famous name in human history. And yet he never wrote a book. He never got involved in politics or ran a major business. He never had a wife or owned a house. He didn't go to university. He didn't live in a big city. He never traveled more than 200 miles from the place where he was born. He did none of the things that we usually associate with greatness. He died a criminal's death as a young man and couldn't even afford a grave. And yet, in spite of all of this, 21 centuries have come and gone. And today, Jesus is the central figure of the human race. More songs have been sung to him. More paintings have been painted of him. More books have been written about him than anyone else who has ever lived. All the armies that ever marched, all the navies that ever sailed, all the parliaments that ever sat, all the kings that ever reigned put together have not affected the life of all of us on this earth as much as that one solitary life called Jesus. All of human history rotates on his birth. B.C. before Christ. A.D. Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. Jesus Emmanuel, God with us. God became man to save us from our sins. But he didn't look very significant 
on that first Christmas. And what I have found in my own life and in the lives of others, when God wants to do something significant, it always starts insignificant. When God wants to do something big, it always starts really small. It never looks impressive. God hides the big and the small. God's promises never show up fully formed. When he starts something, it rarely looks like what you expect him to do, and it doesn't look like how it's going to finish up. God always starts with the small, and often we don't notice it, or we don't perceive it, or we don't pay attention to it, or we don't think it's important because it's small. In Zechariah 4.10 it says this, Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. The Lord rejoices to see the work begin. So don't despise the small beginnings in your life. Isaiah 43 says this, See, I am doing a new thing, now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? The reason that they're asking, do you not, Isaiah is asking, do you not perceive it? Is because it's not that perceptible. And God very often can be doing something in our lives and it's so insignificant and it looks so unimportant that we just actually don't pay attention to it. It's not that impressive. Very often, you know what I find? God will give us just a little bit of what we pray for to see how we handle it. He will give you a little bit of an answer to your prayer to see how you respond to it. Do you recognize him? He will give you a little bit of influence to see how you handle it. He will give you a little bit of money to see how you handle it. Because you think, well, I would give if I had the money that such and such has. Yeah, but they gave before they had the money that they have now. He will give you certain relationships to see how you handle them. He'll give you certain ministries or certain positions, certain things and work to see how you handle them. Because faithfulness is so important. God always gives you his gift in seed form. Everything nearly starts with a seed. And how you handle that seed will determine whether it grows into something significant. Look at what God or Jesus said. If you're faithful in the little things, you will be faithful in the large ones. But if you're dishonest in the little things you won't be honest in greater responsibilities. Almost everything major in our lives started small. Those of you who are married, it started with a single conversation. Asking somebody out, having a coffee with them. Those of you who have kids or grandkids, they started small. I found this picture yesterday of Elijah. Ten weeks old. He was a wee bit freaked out by it. You can imagine. Ten weeks old in his mummy's tummy. And look at him now. The big is in the small. The big is in the small. Nearly everything God wants to do in your life doesn't look like it's going to finish up when he starts. It looks small, it looks pitiful, it looks insignificant, and it looks very ordinary. But how you handle that will determine what it becomes. You see, we wait for big opportunities to come along. But God is waiting for your yes for the small thing. Some of you want to write a book. When's the last time you wrote a few pages? Some of you want to have responsibility over something. When's the last time you were faithful with what he has already given you? For God, the small is a big deal. 
How you handle small things will determine what he's given you. And the small is important even just on its own. That's what I've discovered as well. But we wait for the big things, but actually for, the, for God, the, the, the small things are really important. The small conversations you have, the small talk can sometimes be really important. The small generosity you show to others, it might not be insignificant to you, but it can make a huge difference to them. I told the story a while ago of the time when we were living up the north coast and we had very little money. And remember, two, in the same weekend, two people gave us 500 pounds. Now, that was in 2016. A number of weeks ago, I went for breakfast with one of those people. I had hardly seen them since then. And as we sat over breakfast, I said, remember you gave us money when we didn't have any? And he looked at me and went, Craig, I have no idea what you're talking about. I said, remember one Friday night you texted me and asked for my bank. And he said, I have no, and he genuinely had no idea. Why? Because he was just being faithful and obedient in the small. And he had forgotten it. But six years later, I hadn't forgotten it. Why? Because what's insignificant to you could be really significant to somebody else. Sending somebody a text message. Just encourage them. Not a big deal to you this afternoon, but could be a really big deal to them. Inviting somebody to the carol service tonight might not be a big deal to you, but tonight could change their life forever, for eternity. Having that hard conversation that you've been putting off, it might only take a few moments, but it can reconcile a relationship that's been broken for months or even years. Paying attention to the person that most people ignore, can make them feel important even just for a few moments. Quietly serving behind the scenes when nobody's looking makes a huge difference to people's lives. The difference is not made up here, folks. This is not it. The difference is made out there every moment of every day because most of life is just ordinary. It's blah. It's bland. It's not very exciting. Let's be honest. We were in, I'm finishing here, we were in a coffee shop called Fine on Friday in Moiran. At the end of it, I said, Becky, I think I know how they came up with the name. I hope the people don't watch this. Um, it's one of those places that when you ask, was it good, you say, it was fine. I says, I wonder if that's how they came up with the name. It was either going to be called Fine or Grand. It was Grand. It was Fine. But you know what I was thinking? Most of life is fine, isn't it? Like, when people ask you how's life, what do you say? Fine. Unless you've had like a really bumper week. Most of life is just fine. 2022, we're coming to the end of it. How's 2022 been for you? Fine. Has it been amazing, folks? Has 2022 been the most amazing year ever for anybody? No, it hasn't. Sure it hasn't. And it probably hasn't been the worst year ever for some of you, most of you. Do you know what it's been? Fine. But do you know what it's also been? A lot of small moments where you've been able to make a difference. Without fanfare, without applause, without being noticed. And I guarantee you, it's the small things 
the things that you didn't even think twice about that will have impacted the people around you. Because how we want our lives to be depends on how our days are. And how our days are depends on how our moments are. And every moment matters to God. God does want to do incredible things through you. But they probably won't look incredible. They'll probably look very ordinary and very small and very insignificant. Just like a baby in a trough in a cave 2,000 years ago. And yet, with God, the big is in the small. 